Welcome to the Bike Portland podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Moss. In this episode, we hear from Eric Tonkin, the owner of Selwood Cycle Repair, who celebrates his 30th anniversary with the shop this year. I first wanted to have Eric on the show as part of our Shop Talk series, but then realized there was much more to talk about than just running a business. In our conversation, you'll learn how he got his start in the local bike industry, why he seriously considered running for a seat on Portland City Council in 2016, and you'll even hear him say there's a very distinct possibility he might run again in the future. We also talk about his work promoting local cyclocross events, and if you love bike racing, either as a competitor or a spectator, listen closely for the big news about how Eric has been working with the Portland Parks and Recreation Bureau to bring a major cross event to Waterfront Park in downtown Portland. On a sort of related note, I asked Eric for his thoughts on the exciting success of two-time U.S. National Cyclocross champion Clara Hansinger former Selwood Cycle employee and team racer who's currently mixing it up atop the World Cup circuit in Europe. Eric also shares his views on Portland bike commuter culture and how e-bikes might play a major role in the future of his business. Here's our conversation. Eric, it's good to see you. It's been a while. Thanks for, thanks for chatting. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So 30 years in business here at Selwood Cycle Repair. You've been here for 25. Take me back to those early years. How did you get involved with the shop and uh, how did this whole thing get started? Mm, yeah, so I started working in bike shops when I was a student at Lewis and Clark College. I worked at a small store called Pedal Sports up in the Twilliger Plaza. I was there for a couple of years when that business um, went went under. Uh, Jay Graves was kind enough to hire me straight away and I started working at the Sandy Boulevard store at the bike gallery. And then uh, when he opened up uh, the Lake Oswego store, hired Kelly Iker to run the Lake Oswego store, um, I went over with Kelly to help him open the Lake Oswego store. And then uh, I was there for a few years and then I, I, uh, I joined at Selwood Cycle. Uh, some people might remember that Selwood Cycle Repair originally was a a collective or offered a collective workspace so i was a member of that collective workspace and a friend of the owner while i worked at all the other shops you know because i I, I lived in selwood when i was a, stu a student at lewis and clark so that was my connection i eventually just joined him as his first full-time employee cool and yeah. you uh you stuck it out for 30 years and you were just saying that just being committed to it is such an important piece of surviving this long a saying i like that if you do the same thing in the same place for a long time, you're, you're going to have a certain amount of success. Um, so I think a lot of it is just, um, being committed to like choosing to do this and being committed to it. But then the real challenge is knowing that whatever this is, is a changeable thing and you have to, you have to evolve and adapt, um, and just move, move forward, you know? Were there moments along those along those years where you really honestly thought, you know, I don't think I can stay owning owning the shop anymore? Or, I mean, have you had doubts over all those years? Yeah, I, yeah, I have. Um, I think that when uh, it was around, it was two thousand one. Uh, honestly, shortly before nine eleven. In fact, the weekend before nine eleven, um, as it happens, uh, is when I made um, the commitment to sort of double down with the business and uh, not go back to not go back to school and also it's when I decided to um not become a full-time professional bike racer 
uh, and instead saying that I want to stick with the business that I thought there was more potential there and that I thought that my, that my, my elite level bike racing could still go on for a long time and be satisfying without like signing to do that, you know, full time. Yeah. Without like dedicating every minute of your life to like being the best racer, which is definitely what it takes, right? It does. Yeah. I feel like I walked that line pretty well. I'm pretty proud of that, but, um, you know, whenever you make a decision, it means that you're not making other decisions. You know, you're, you're choosing something over something else. Right. And I think that that's, that was, um, for me, uh, I think when I was, you know, in high school, even and a younger, you know, younger guy, I had a pretty strong sense that, um, I kind of fell in love with small business with the summer job I had back in Minnesota. And I, I remember leaving that job the second year, the second summer I had it, I left. And I remember telling the owners that, that I'm, I'm going to Portland and I'm gonna have a bike shop someday. No way. It's a true story. Yeah. Oh, that is, that is so funny. And I think, you know, <laughs> suffice it to say the shop has lasted and will last longer than any cycling career in terms of being competitive. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty great. You know, I, I like the, um, I like that. It's, uh, I think the thing that I'm most happy about with Selwood cycle repair overall is that it's not, um, it's not erictonkin.com and never has been. And I, I mean, I think that it has its own, its own identity far beyond, um, myself. Cause so many important people have put so much effort into this place and have like left so much of their own like DNA here. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I'm, I'm really happy to be in a spot where I can still own it, but I'm always welcoming that energy in there. And it's a place where, you know, it's like a canvas. Everybody gets a paint on it, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. pretty good. And you've always been located right here on this corridor, right around 13th or so. We've always, yeah, this, this is our third location and, um, we've always been right in, uh, yeah, like in between either Milwaukee and 13th <laughs> and always North of Tacoma and always South of Bybee. <laughs> yeah. I kind of yeah. I, I love that about your sort of like career in this town is you've stayed true to Selwood. You're still mm-hmm. here. You're kind of like dame lillard or kobe i mean you've always been on the same team or something <laughs> it seems like can you describe for me what selwood cycle repair is like as a bike shop what kind of bike shop is it like if you met someone at interbike or some bike show and they did no idea who you were yeah. what's your pitch like what is selwood cycle repair oh yeah no that's that's no that's 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 pretty that's pretty easy for me to, to say um i always tell people that it is a a repair you know focused service kind of first um, brick and mortar retail sales and service business. I mean, like at the end of the day, it's very much a, you know, it's, it's the basic stuff is getting, you know, you gotta get the basic stuff, right? It's, it's retail sales and service, you know, it's customer service. It's fixing bikes first. You know, we, we invest, most of our payroll is invested in, I think, I think 75% of my payroll or 70% is tied up with just people who work on bikes all the time. And of course, for a business this size, when you have close to you know 20 employees year round, um, you know, you clearly don't make money fixing bikes, right? So you, you make, you make your money like selling new bikes and selling, you know, parts associated with those bikes and, and accessories associated with those bikes. But, but the bike the bikes come first, you know, like I made a decision a long time ago that I don't want to really, really focus on selling or servicing anything. If it, if you're not, if you're not sort of, if it's not physically attached to the bike, 
So for me, everything everything kind of emanates out of the the building and the the building of the new bicycle or the the repair of the used bicycle or just the repair of the of the customer's bicycle. Yeah, and you've been you've been doing that long enough where you've seen people come in, get a shot, get a bike. Maybe they're young in, in town, and then they've had kids. And I met like the kids have come in, get a bike. What's that like to see oh, that kind of change over uh, time? It's amazing. Yeah, I, you know, I, I had a conversation with, with, about this with somebody in the neighborhood the other day. And, um, we were just kind of looking at, looking at each other and laughing and we were, and I was remarking to them how, like, that I remembered, I said, I, you know, I ran into this couple, right. And I said, you know, I remember when you guys weren't dating and your, your child is in college now <laughs> and I'm only 47. So I'm like, I'm like, holy shit. that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> that, that gets back to what you said before about <laughs> just staying committed to the, to the same thing. Yeah. And I, I, I I can't speak for you, but, uh, I, I can, I can kind of relate to that in the sense of there's some satisfaction with being around a while, right? It's kind of, can you like, can you describe what that's like to you just to, in some ways, I mean, personally I get pulled. I'm kind of like, sometimes I'm sort of like FOMO about, wow, look at Mm. all these different things everybody else is doing. They're kind of like getting hired and fired and exploring new parts of their career and going down different paths where I saw them wholly formed in one sort of career. And then Mm. they've actually ditched that and started something new. And, and here I am still just doing basically the same thing in the same place, (laughs) a lot like you. So like, do you ever think that like what? Yeah. And that's a great question. I was hoping you'd ask me that, that question because, um, because here's the thing about it for me is that I feel like I've had so many different jobs while I've done this, this, this one job in the same place. So for me, it's been this gift to kind of evolve with the business. And, you know, like, for example, like I don't really, it's been a few years since I've really, I don't really do a lot of bike repair anymore. I mean, essentially none, right? Like I don't, it's not, that's not what interests me about, about the business anymore. It's very much what interested me early on. Right. So there's so many facets of your shop and you've been able to do different ones, right? It's not like you're like a cobbler replacing soles for 30 years in a little closet, you know, shop like, right. So you're saying you've done different parts of the business and kept it interesting. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And, and I need, I need, I need staff. I need friends and staff and employees who want to fix bikes for like the, the, the broad, the, you know, the broad part of their working adult lives in some cases, you know, but we need, we need people who really do, you know, just like one or two things. Right. But, um, it's been great that, uh, having grown this small business enough that, you know, I'm not the only one either who has been able to grow and adapt within the business. I have numerous employees who started here doing one thing and are, are on to very different work lives at the same, at the same business, you know, that, that, that's not something that you can offer every employee in a, in a small business, especially again, I always remind everybody like, Hey, let's not forget it's a retail brick and mortar, retail sales and service bike shop. Mm-hmm. It, we have to remind ourselves that it's pretty basic. Like, right. you know, it's very important. It's real work. And we have some high minded ideals that we strive for all the time, but, but let's not forget what it really is at the ground level. Cause if you forget that you're not going to do the job well. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned you went to uh, Lewis and Clark yep. and I know for you riding in those Riverview trails was, was always a big deal. We've talked about that. Tell me what, what was it like in those trails back when you first started riding a lot in them, like early 2000s, what was <laughs> Riverview like? And for folks that don't know, this is a patch of land between like Lewis and Clark. So like, uh, mm-hmm. Terwilliger basically, and then highway 43. Mm-hmm. Is that what's up there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's. Yeah, and then it's just south of like Riverview cemetery basically. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. that patch of patch of, of hill there. Yeah. What was it like riding in there? 
Well, I mean, for me, it's like, it was just this tremendous sense of place. It's, it's, I discovered those trails when I came to visit Lewis and Clark, <laughs> you know, Oh, before even enrolled. <laughs> yeah. And I had nice. never been West of Minnesota before. And I like stumbled upon those trails, um, on a rental MB3 from the bike gallery downtown, by the way. Oh, they must've loved you. Cause if it was in the fall or anything, it, it must've been muddy. And it was very oh, muddy, yeah. it was very oh, muddy yeah. when I returned it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, the, the trails, there, there were a lot of trails, uh, they were, you know, um, just kind of sc uh, scattered all over the place, uh, you know, really, really technical, really messy, um, obviously a lot of fall line stuff, but, um, but also just, uh, I mean, just, just beautiful, beautiful woods in there, you know, it, but they were like handmade trails from, mm, from yeah. other riders, nothing formal mm, and hikers, you know, just, yeah, yeah it wasn't were, like a city property or anything. Mm -mm, no, it was just kind of this land in between the cemetery and the camp and the campus. And yeah. we would just kind of recreate and play in there. You know? Nice. Nice. It, so yeah. In, in addition to like finding new and exciting things for yourself personally to do in the shop and keeping it interesting that way. I mean, you've also obviously been involved. Well, not obviously for people that don't know you, but you have been involved with a lot of other things in town. I mentioned Riverview. We don't need to go into it, but you got like really involved with local trail advocacy for a while. Uh, you want to speak to that really quick? I, I know, uh, it, you know, both in Forest Park, trying to get better bike access there yeah. and then definitely with Riverview, which I know must have been and what, you know, such a personal thing for you trying to get. So what happened is the city ended up, you know, using it as like a, a water bureau or environmental services facility because it's a watershed. And there was this whole hullabaloo about almost 10 years ago now. I think yeah, it was eight yeah. years ago, eight or nine years ago. Yep, right. It was a big controversy in how they should or if they should increase bike access. So mm -hmm. what was that like getting involved with advocacy, sort of leaving the shop? Yeah, uh, the, the great, the great thing about being so deeply involved with the forest park kind of process first, and then the Riverview process was really, which, and by the way, the Riverview one kind of came out of the forest park, you know, it was a lot of the same players. True, you know? I feel they were trying to say, Hey, let's look at Riverview instead of forest park. To a degree, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that, um, I, I really enjoyed, uh, the people that I got to work with, honestly, at the city and whether, and, and from other interest groups, uh, even if they weren't, um, maybe like quote unquote on the, on the same, on the same side as, you know, as, as, as me. Um, I mean that genuinely, like I really, um, I, I love people and I was an opera for me, it was an opportunity to, uh, learn a lot about the city. Um, I didn't uh, like everything that I learned and I didn't really, I didn't, uh, I didn't care for the outcome in particular, the Riverview one. I felt pretty, um, that was more personal for me. I was more detached about the Forest Park stuff. Riverview is pretty personal. That was a tough pill to swallow with the outcome there, but you know, maybe nothing's ever really over. Um, so we'll, we'll see about that. But, but I will say that, um, I, th I think the greatest thing about it was learning so much about the city and how it works and and having an opportunity to meet other people with like levers of power in the city yeah and that wasn't the only you know the another i i've worked with the um i've worked with the revenue bureau and the police department too on a few occasions about uh you know bike theft stuff right yeah, yeah rules governing the sale of used bikes and mm. honestly that was some of the some of that that was uh that's some of the proudest like that, that was a couple of years really quietly, you know, behind the scenes or a couple of times and it bubbled up into the public, but 
you know, boy, working with the Revenue Bureau, you think the Revenue Bureau, like who are they? We have one of those. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and they were fantastic to work with, and uh, the and the and the police, they were just absolutely. Absolutely fantastic to work and, with. And you got some yeah. real stuff. Some real stuff came out of that in terms Ab- of how shops have to catalog these oh, bikes and the sales of them, right? That Ab- was like a, absolutely, that was, yeah. absolutely. And like we've have a pretty good uh, set of ordinances in place right now that I think that have been working for a long time. They're, they they haven't needed to change. And on top of that, some people don't really know this, but like some of those rules are, and I think this is very important for the bike, the Portland bike industry. Um, those rules have kind of protected our very unique market from. Uh, I'll just name it from the companies like the pros closet. Um, Interesting because it handles the, so for folks who don't know, I think the, what what we're talking about are these policies that anybody who sells, you have what pawn shop, bike shop, if you're selling used bikes, you have to go through a certain process. And am I right to say that it sort of emanated through a huge, the huge concern about theft of bikes and people fencing stuff that was stolen, right? Yeah. And it, and it came out of nothing to do. The overhaul of it had nothing to do with bikes per se. It all came out of when the Oregon secretary of state's laptop was stolen and it, and it landed in a, and it landed in a pawn shop in Portland area. That's what triggered all this stuff because guess who got involved when that happened? The FBI. Oh, I didn't realize that was the Genesis, but so yeah, that's great. You, you helped in terms of that advocacy, you helped get in some of those policies that have made it harder to sort of be shady around selling used equipment in our market, which has probably helped local bike shops ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and a couple of years ago, you know, the, um, companies like pros closet, which I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan of bicycle blue book and pros closet, but I also, as somebody who wants to like protect what I've worked for and what many of us have worked for here in, in, in our Portland market, you know, I, I didn't want to allow a national level player or at least a company that had clearly national level ambitions to come in here and set up shop in whatever way they thought they were going to be able to do it like to hell with our rules or not and um having uh, developed such a positive relationship with the again the revenue bureau of all of all people don't mess with them and uh and and portland police you know um telling them that that was in the works and working with them to make sure that these new players who thought they were going to come into town and do this or that. Um, you know, well, I guess we knew how that worked out because it, it, they, they protected their interests here and, and, and kept, um, you know, made sure that those new players would have to come in and do ex- do business exactly the way that the rest of us did. Oh. And then they chose not to. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I got to say that, you know, your answer to, you know, sort of what other advocacy you've been involved with and learning things in the city, that sounded like a really, like an answer that like a politician could give, you know, I really think. <laughs> right. And I, you know, a couple years after that, if I'm not mistaken, you considered a run for city council. And I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you decide not to? Could oh, yeah. that happen in the future? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, it could. Uh, why it didn't at that time? So that would have been like 2015. It would have been 2015. So, yeah. so it would have been for 2016. And the the seat in question was was um, the Novick. Steve Novick Steve seat. Novick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and for one thing, I was a I was a fan of Steve Novick, so that was that was one reason why I chose eventually chose not to not to run. And for those people who remember, he did end up he didn't you know he got he he ended up losing in the runoff. So, um, but uh, that was so that was that was interesting. But I guess the reason why I didn't was I um, I know that for me at the time, 
I felt like I was in not the not the healthiest um, personal space, to be totally honest. And while there was a lot of momentum and a lot of interest, I you know I kind of put together like an exploratory team, and I did retain a, a you know a campaign. Uh, director and fundraiser somebody wow, who was I got very, further along than I than yeah, I thought somebody who had run numerous successful um city council campaigns did like volunteer honestly to be a part of it so I That's a good chose sign. them yeah it was good it was it had traction but for me I I I I had to have a pretty honest conversation with myself it's like it's not good enough to just want to do it you know you have to actually you know, be able to do it. And I just don't, I don't know if the world needs another, like, um, you know, uh, passionate and, you know, maybe capable, but ultimately, you know, like ultimately like not ready for primetime politician, you oh, know, gosh. you know, like, it's funny saying that in 2021 where literally everybody and anybody <laughs> just throws their hat in the ring. And it's just such an, been such an interesting political time, you know, since then. Yeah, it, it so, is to answer your question. I mean, it is, it is, um, you know, in the last, I suppose we can talk more about the pandemic, you know, too, but in the last, <laughs> we'll get to that. One. Yeah. Yeah. But in the last year and a half in particular, I've, for the first time, I've taken a pretty significant step away from the, um, daily operation of the business. Um, and one of the reasons for that is so that I can free myself up, uh, with the, um, time to pursue some other interests right and right now i've been away from the daily operations of the shop enough that i i know kind of battle tested the business and it it it's running it's running fine you know without me here i don't really have uh quote-unquote office hours anymore okay so to put a finer point on it yeah there's a good chance you may run for council in the future sometime i would be and i'm interested in public service and and um have been able to spend um, a lot of my time in the last couple of years uh, traveled quite a bit uh, for bike racing uh, and just for personal reasons. And I think being away from the city, honestly, so I've traveled so much in the last like three or four years and being away from the city a lot has allowed me to um, see it with um, fresher eyes. And I, I think that, I think you know, and to love it again. And by, and that's another reason why in 2016, I think that I was, um, in a place where I wasn't, I don't know if I loved the city enough to, to want to mm. do that. You know, mm. I was like, you know, if that makes it, you know, I want to, you want to do it for the right. I want to do it because I love it. You know, like I put on bike race events in town because I love the city and I see people having fun. You know, that's why I do it. I don't want to make any money doing it. Well, there's also a lot of hard work. So if you're going to dedicate yeah. to that, you better love it. Just like running for city council. It's a lot of hard work. You got to really yeah. commit to that if you're going to do it. I totally get it. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you've definitely found other ways to sort of serve Portland. And you just mentioned putting on a, a, a bike race. So for folks that don't know, Eric was one of the sort of, well, was one of the foundational pieces of sort of like early cyclocross in Portland before it really blew up. There were people racing before you got here because oh, yeah, yeah. Portland has such for an sure. awesome legacy for, for bike racing history that goes way back. So Eric had a lot to do with sort of popularizing it, I'll say, in terms of getting the, you know, setting the foundation like for the crusade. And you started a bike racing team 25 years ago that's still super mm-hmm. strong today. Mm-hmm. Recently just, I think, helped launch Clara Hansinger to mm-hmm. the top of the World Cup standings and races. Um, but I want to talk to so 2019, 
you gave something back to the community that I think is is just such a treasure, which is Bridge City Cross. That was great. Which happened yeah. just not too far from where we're sitting, just across the Springwater Trail path, right, right on the river. And, you know, it's, it, it was just such an amazing event. Uh, unfortunately, COVID knocked it off the, the year, but it came back so victoriously this year. I think it really hit at this sweet spot. So good, tell me yeah. about Bridge City Cross. What did it mean to you to be able to give that back to Portland in the form of a cross race? Man, I, yeah, and I, I, yeah, I, I, I just absolutely loved it. You know, we, we, I had been kind of half acidly <laughs> working on that venue for many years, trying to get, trying to get something going there. And then finally got a good bit of traction and then, you know, just went for it and it came together really late that in that 2019 year and, uh, couldn't have happened without the support of, um, well, a lot, lots of, lots of pieces fell into place, but one of the things that was really great about it was that um, our whole cyclocross community got behind it. So it wasn't like uh, it was just me putting on the event. I mean, I, it, I was the promoter of it, but like the amount of help and support that we that we received from other promoters, other event promoters and race promoters, everybody came together to make that happen because they kind of realized that, well, this is really, it is kind of important. Uh, you know, we don't have a marquee cycling event like right or bike racing event, I should say not, of course we have cycling events, but bike racing event, like literally in the city. And again, this is when we were losing Alpenrose as a venue too. True. So th th this was very, it was very timely. It's like people just sort of knew this visceral feeling that they knew how important a bike race could be in the context of having Alpenrose velodrome sort of ripped out of all of our hearts. Yeah. Here's Bridge City Cross right on the river at Oaks Park. So yeah. That probably tapped into some of that. I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was. It felt great to do that for ourselves, right in our own neighborhood, uh, and back again, again to Selwood. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. It was it was excellent, you know. And when we when I was thinking of a name, I finally landed on Bridge City because I did want it to. I did want the name to travel, you know. Like I didn't want to give it a name that was too Selwood focused, right? Because I I kind of have this vision for the event being. Maybe it'll always be down at Oaks Amusement Park, but maybe it will be in other marquee locations along mm. the river and waterfront in the, you know, in the Portland area, right? Please so. help us get Waterfront Park, Eric. So get elected yeah. to council. <laughs> and so we could do the real Tom McCall, people lined up on the Hawthorne Bridge watching the best cross racers go at it right there. I was down there working on the course last week, actually. So Okay, well, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get yeah. into that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Because yeah. yeah, I've been, well, I don't want to get down this road too far, but boy, it's frustrating how Portland parks in Portland with all of our legacy around cycling and racing and just being a, you know, a cool town that we haven't been able to do more in terms of the Parks Bureau letting yeah. people use venues. And it's just recently, it looks like PIR got kicked down a few notches in terms of a race venue even. So I hope, I hope you can keep working with them and have some good news. I think that, I think there will be good news. I think the city needs some, some, some victories and some positive, some positive looks. And I know that Portland parks and recreation is, is, uh, is, um, un, you know, that they're, that they're interested. So that's yeah. great. Yeah. Okay. One last thing on racing. Sure. Well, yeah. How does it feel to you to see Clara Hansinger doing so well at the world cup? I mean, for oh. you, you've <laughs> competed at that level. Um, she, I, I mean, you know, no offense to you, but she's competing at that level oh. at a high, I mean, she's oh, won a race. She's oh. come in second. Yeah. Oh, What's no. it feel like? I mean, do you, do you feel like you had something to do with in terms of helping her with the team that you have? Uh, and getting her on that and just kind of like, I mean, how, what was your relationship like with her? And can you talk, talk a little bit about Clara? Yeah, it, it, um, I, I do feel like the, uh, so people who don't know, you know, Clara also, um, 
she worked at the bike shop as well. She joined the team in, uh, I want to say it was 2016, gosh, maybe it was 2015. She was a student at University of Portland at the time. Um, and when she was young, I want to say, I think she's 17, just, you know, just not, not long out of high school. Um, I typically don't work with juniors closely. I wait till they're kind of like out, out of the nest is when I like to work with younger riders, you know, hmm. it's a tough time to navigate your, your, your competitive sport or it can be when you've left, you know, the, the nest, you know, in the comfort of home. And now you're kind of on your own to a degree in the world, especially if it's a sport like cycling, which isn't always, you're not going to, you know, it's not like football or one of the big, you know, it's not a team sport that you're going to find at a college level as commonly. Right. It was pretty tremendous to spend, uh, uh, just the, like those formative years with, a young person, like, you know, right, like, right. I mean, right from 18 up to like, I mean, it makes me kind of teary-eyed, right? Like up, up to where Claire is now. I mean, just to watch some somebody just grow up, uh, it was amazing. And yeah. I mean, I, I would look at it and think that what Claire is doing now in bike racing sort of illustrates the strength in a lot of ways of sort of what you created here in Selwood Cycle. What you bring to Cyclecross and what you bring to this shop in general, being a nest for, for Clara, oh, yeah. had something to do with her getting enough good vibes around bike racing that she decided... Like we talked about earlier, she decided to actually throw yeah. all the dice and, and actually commit to it and do it. And now she's doing it. it. Must be just amazing to see. Well, some a couple of things like, uh, I mean, you know, I I remember the first, the very first national championships that we traveled to together would have been in Hartford, and that would have been January of 2017. And we had traveled to some races together before that to kind of field test things. And we hadn't launched our new team S and MCX program yet. So this was like leading up to when I was deciding, am I going to do that or not? You know, but when we went to Hartford and she was an under 23 rider and I remember her there and I think she finished fifth or sixth that day. So she had a pretty good race, but I remember her looking at her competition and just, and you know, they're all about her age. And I remember her just being kind of so overwhelmed and looking at the other riders and just thinking like, I'm never going to be like, how can I ever they're only like, they're, we're the same age and they're already this much better than me. And she was just like, how, how am I ever going to catch up to them? And I remember in that moment just being pretty quiet. And I just told her, I said, you just gotta, you just gotta wait. You just gotta keep doing it and you'll catch up. And like those riders she was talking about, you know, one of them retired this year <laughs> and, oh. and the other one isn't racing. So it's like, yeah. And you, you, know. you, yeah. And you always had kind of the, like the traditional shop team, a great shop team mm -hmm. you're competing really well locally and probably regionally. I mean, mm -hmm. so, and, but then you stepped it up with this more focused cross program that was mm -hmm. women only, right? If I'm yeah, not mistaken, yeah, yep, yep. What, did, is Clara the reason you did that? Or were you already thinking about it? Or did she, did she help convince you to kind of take that extra leap to make a really, I mean, this was a basically a pro level team you yeah, really yeah. committed to this. Well, with having, uh, having somebody with the, you know, a young, a young rider like Clara with that, um, athletic potential, which I've been around athletes enough to know when I think when somebody has some of the some of the you know mental and physical markers that could be successful but the truth is we already had other pieces in place you know like we you know we had brenna here at the shop who wanted to do this with me as manager and mechanic and we had beth ann orton who was a longtime oregon cyclocross racer also um a lewis and clark grad like somebody that i knew you know she got a bike from the shop many many years ago you know so we had we had the um we we, we had a plan we've been talking about it all year you know speaking of 
making plans and best laid plans. Yeah. Let's fast forward a bit. Uh, and I'm glad that, that all the stuff with Claire and the team solidified before COVID. But <laughs> yeah. let's fast forward to, I guess, February 2020. Everything is pretty okay. You're probably recovering from a, a, a Christmas season and looking yeah. ahead to the year. And then you're probably reading the news thinking, what is this thing called COVID? What does this mean? And then I always think of like the governor in March de- declaring that we're locking down as yeah. kind of the moment. Like what went through your mind at the early, when COVID just came as a, as a bike shop owner, looking at everything, what, what were you thinking at that point? Yeah, it, it's, we were in Europe. I was actually with Claire and Brenna in Europe into the first week of February. And I was hearing about, about it over there a little bit and, um, figured something was brewing. I remember also talking to my younger brother, who's a surgeon in Northern Minnesota he's in the, in, you know, healthcare field. And he was aware of the early rumbling of this too. So I was like, well, we're going to have, something's going to happen here. So we started, we did start, uh, planning some stuff pretty, like pretty, I, I sort of had the panic, the panic button for me was on in early February is what I'm trying to say. Mm. So my goal was to have really, um, no change as much as possible thrown at the staff from the, the business. Mm. They have you enough know. change out in their other parts of the world at that moment that you thought you'd make yeah. it as stable as you could. Yeah. And I thought we were successful at that. Like people love coming to work even when they didn't know what was happening, you know, it was the only place that they could go to a degree, you know, and everybody, you know, everybody stayed healthy throughout the whole, that whole thing too. But, uh, we really like coalesced as a staff and, um, you know, people felt really, I think they felt, I think the employees felt really safe here. Um, and, and they, they were just taken care of, you know, and they just didn't have to, they didn't have to, to a degree worry about their work. Um, that was a big goal of mine. Well, but then they also pretty quickly got really busy and there was a ton of work to do, right? What was that like having the boom show up? Yeah, well, that was, that was, um, I learned a very important, painful lesson. I have a tendency to need to be taught the same lessons over and over again. (laughs) I'm not smart. There's a bike racing metaphor in there somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, not smart enough to uh, you'll learn them the first time. I, some that can help as an athlete. You have a, you forget easily how much that sucked. Oh, let's do it again. Great. You know, uh, the, uh, I know what happened for me is that of course things did change. It did get pretty chaotic. Um, I felt it necessary to really reinsert myself. Uh, and it probably was necessary, but to really reinsert myself as, the day-to-day on the on the ground floor manager of the entire business not only like sort of the sales ish team but also the the repair so you kind of went back and took the controls of the ship again where you'd started to kind of leave a little bit on the day-to-day i essentially like took back over the reins of the of the service department in particular right and that was good because I, I think that I had enough of command of what the business needed and what our customers needed to make the changes that we needed to make. But the problem with doing that, and this is the lesson that I learned is that it, you know, it, 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 it also made me miss some cues for, um, being so reinserted meant that I wasn't doing my other job as well as I could have been, which was like, you know, looking, just bigger picture. And, you know, I definitely missed some opportunities to buy inventory and bikes when I could have, because I was so deeply reinserted. And some of that stuff was happening very quickly. Like, you know, 
I mean, not even like days lead time, some like hours of lead time, you which know? became and all that became really important as the supply it, chain it, stuff quickly it, followed it, the boom. It, and it, then it this did. headache of not getting parts or bikes. Right. And I was going to say, I hear what you're saying about it, taking you away from maybe like the forecasting and the back office stuff that's so important in the buying. But then again, you you did get to get like a in the trenches on the floor view of maybe how your customers were changing oh, yeah. and what that means for your shop going forward, because it wasn't just COVID necessarily. It's like, obviously we had, you know, the racial protests of 2020 and all these, the social upheaval that's going on. So what's in the last, you know, 18 months, two years almost now, how has, or has your clientele changed at all? What's that been like in terms of the people that come through the front door? Yeah. A lot of new people, which, you know, I've heard other shop owners talk about that, you know, and again, just being, uh, you know, we were, we were, it's a rare opportunity when you're an established mature business to suddenly be given this, like, you know, like God did just the data entry alone in that first year of COVID for adding so many new people to our, like, have you been in before? Everybody's like, no. And it's like, oh my, you know, like having to add all the people to the point that. of sale system. I'm like, my God, you know, it takes time. Right. right you know, and right. especially in the moment. Usually that was maybe like 10, 20% of the people oh, would say. Yeah, yeah. It was a huge share, you know, and, and, uh, that, what a gift that is to have all of a sudden, like, even if you don't have anything to sell them, yeah. you can smile, have a conversation. You can like meet somebody and ask how they're doing. Even if, you know, how's, how's this thing treating you? What's your life like? You can have a five minute conversation, even if you don't have a, a bike to sell them or so something, you, so you, you know, so. So you think some of those new folks are going to stick around? I mean, I know that's a big conversation in the bike world. Some of these, some of these COVID boomers, are they going to be customers <laughs> for life kind of sort of thing? I think some of them will be, I don't, I doubt it's going to be anything that is like every, everybody, but you know, I think that there will, I have to be optimistic about it, right? Because it felt like such a great opportunity to uh, make meet new people and make new customers like i gotta be i gotta at least think for the sake of our industry that we're going to retain these people like right. if, if we if we already think that we're not <laughs> then i think we're i think that's a real unfortunate loss leader and you know like you and i were talking before we had the mics on you know like one thing that uh, i was really reminded of during the during those the pandemic days was don't don't decide for other people what they're going to think or do like let them let them do them you know right in um, terms of having fr maybe fresh eyes for what selwood cycle could be and yeah. what you could offer them as a business and what a new bike rider would want yeah we changed so many of our so many like we made so many fundamental changes that i had so many uh, mo most of them not all of them most of them i had thought about and i was like too afraid to make those changes they seemed way fundamentally too too much to change I'll can give, you name one or two of them? i'll give you a couple of examples i mean we started closing on thursday and that that was uh and uh that was because of how you know the repair volume was so insane we were having a hard time you know like i remember there was a day when i checked in nearly 30 bikes in the first hour of business for repair. I mean, you think about 30 bicycles and people attached to them in an hour is that's an awful lot of bikes and people Wow, to come in, you know? And I was just like, this is like, we, we need like a day to like catch up to process those things. So 
we've stuck with that. We're still closed on Thursdays. The staff loves it. It's like an in an in service day for catching up and then planning for our busiest days of the week, which are Friday and Saturday. Customers don't seem to care that we're not here on Thursday because we communicate it to them that we're not going to be. They're allowed to pick up stuff, but we don't use Thursday to generate new business. Like you would, John Moss would come in like, it, I, my repair is ready. I was told I'm going to pick it up, but right. you wouldn't be scheduled to drop it off for a new repair on Thursday. Right. The shop's not dark. Right. But oh, we're fully staffed. Yeah. Yeah. So people can clean up their workspaces and organize. Yeah. 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 And it was Thursday. We had traditionally been our slowest day of the week anyway. So that, that was kind of like a win win. Um, we also did something where we started opening an hour later each day, same, same thing. Instead of having employees show up at nine 59 for work or nine 45, because we open the doors at, at 10, you know, it's like you know, you're here at 10 and we open at 11. Mm-hmm. So every, every day we had that hour to, um, that, that we started that because of in the early days of the pandemic, it was like, well, we have to clean things right every day. So that's why I made that change. But then it quickly evolved into like, well, actually turns out the cleaning part of it, as we've all learned was not really that essential. Right. So important, but not really essential to prevent the spread of COVID-19. So then we, but we stayed with it because I just noticed that it gave everybody a chance to like get their ducks in the row before we opened for the onslaught. And then it also gave us this time every day where we could have, um, you know, group staff meetings without having to schedule those in a way that would interfere with, uh, normal operation hours. So, so it sounds, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it sounds like almost no matter what happens with the Omicron variant or whatever else COVID stuff that sticks around, Selwood's in a pretty good spot to sort of weather those storms. Well, we hope so. I like our, I like our system for running the, the business right now. And you know, if it, if it, if it needs to change, we'll change it. But like right now we're going to, we're going to stick with those changes and, and, you know, even, at, even as things quote unquote, like return to normal for a while, we still, we still stayed with those, all those changes and people didn't, they didn't mind one, you know, one thing that's important that customers, customers don't want to get jerked around nor, nor do employees make a plan and stick to it, you know? Like, right. And kind of on that note, I, I read an article or I read an interview with you from 2015. I, I forget where it might have been in Cyclocross magazine, mm. but this quote really st- stuck out to me. And I, and I wonder if you could just expand on it. But you said mm. in terms of running the business, you said, I've tried to set aside cool in favor of being good. Oh, right. I know that the sort of bike industry and there's a lot of, you know, there's baggage around bike shops being too cool for school and people coming in and not feeling welcome. But like, yeah. is that what you're getting at? Like, what were you getting at by saying that? I think that, um, Yes. uh, Yes. I I think that I was addressing that issue because culturally that's always been a problem for our, our industry, unfortunately. And, and, you know, I see it being a problem in, in, uh, in any specialty retail, it's a problem in the coffee world. It's a problem in the beer world, big time problem, you know, it, but for me, like cool is not always good. Good is always cool. You know, and and that that's that's just a real fundamental thing for me. So yeah, yeah. and I'm uh, I'm struck with how kind of what you just said. Cool is not always good, but good is always cool. I'm sort of struck with like how you run your business and your outlook on that, and like the kind of racer you are, and kind of like what your own sort of personal vibe is as a racer. <laughs> because like for yeah. folks that don't know, Eric's known as this like I don't know if it's well. There's more to it than just how you look, you know, with you've always had the beard, people call you caveman, (laughs) you didn't, you never shaved your legs like everybody else did. Uh, But this sort of blue collar ethic, Mm. I mean, even the bike that you made with Kona, the honky tonk, to have a bike essentially made after you in the biking world, talk about cool. I mean, 
it would have to be super high performance, right? I mean, nobody gets a bike named after them. That's not, but yours <laughs> but wasn't it was like the opposite. that. Yeah, it was that the opposite, of, yeah, right? right, right. And that was, that was kind of the, that was part of the message is that we wanted to be, we wanted that to be like one of the least expensive bikes you could buy at the time. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. So it's funny. So it's like that's that same approach. I mean, you're, it's kind of like how you are as a racer in a way. I mean, I'm sure there's people that towed the line with you. that are like, that guy is not cool. But at the end of the race, <laughs> the the race they're like, shoot, that guy's good and he's cool. I'm going to go talk to him. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I, well, I'd hope, I hope so sometimes, you know, it is, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I appreciate the, the, the compliment for sure. <laughs> okay, so, oh, oh yeah, one, one thing I want to ask real quick, just sort of the last bike shop business thing, but, and I'm yeah. super curious because like the city of Portland isn't, doesn't do like detailed counts anymore. And, and I'm super interested just like as a shop. And I, actually, I know you're not around a lot, but I'm assuming you talk to your staff. Like, oh, all the time. Yeah, you, daily, are, every day for have sure. Have commuters yeah. come back? I mean, I know that was probably a big ebb and flow of like AM peak, PM peak. And then like COVID happens. And I'm just curious from your perspective, and I know you're not necessarily mm. on a commuter corridor here on 13th, but like, are you getting people coming in buying lights and fenders because they're riding to work or no? What do you think? My answer to that is, my quick answer to that is twofold. We have, the city is growing tremendously and I doubt that, I highly doubt that the, that the people that are moving here, that the percentage of the new people coming in here are picking up the mantle of bicycling. So I, my, my sense is that it's a dwindling share mm. of the public. That's my, that's my sense. But, it, but that also mathematically still means that there's more. So more is good. Mm -hmm. I think, um, I also am really, I'm really feeling like the commuter aspect of bicycling in Portland is changing a lot due to e-bikes. Mm. Commuter bikes and e-bikes are kind of like They've, they've got what you, what you kind of need on them when you, when you get them is, is, is my simple, especially e-bikes. And I think yeah. that's happening in a world that's parallel to our independent bicycle dealer landscape. It's like a, it's a parallel universe. Yeah. We, were, we were talking as we walked up to this room that, you know, if you were starting a bike shop today, you would definitely make it more sort of an e-bike shop. Oh, and yeah. We have this sort of empty space uh, next to the shop and I guess you're, there's <laughs> yeah. a different future for that. So right, what's, yeah. what's it been like adopting to that e-bike wave from the Selwood cycle repair perspective? Or are you still watching it very closely and trying to figure that out? Well, it's been, yeah, I'd say the, the latter. It's been slow because we're, what we're doing with e-bikes is basically we're, we're selling, you know, e-bikes that are new bike, business partners, you know, Kona bikes, giant bikes, um, Yuba, you know, we're selling what they have to offer, you know, but, um, so what's so far been successful about e-bikes from my like 30,000 foot view is direct to consumer sales has been effective. And then stores that are, you know, specialty retailers for e-bikes. So I, I think like if I were to make, so a DNA change that could could potentially happen with cell with cycle repair if I ever have energy like I used to have years ago, which I don't know if that's ever going to happen again. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I would I if I were to have a second location, it would be very e-bike focused. That's that's really the only thing I have in my mind for a, a, a DNA change for the business. A second location, e-bikes. Yeah, period. and yeah. maybe that's the store where uh, you could convince or approach some of these new Portlanders who've moved here that you said may not be willing to pick up the mantle. Uh, you could use that location and your seat on city council to <laughs> convince them to yeah. bring and, and carry that mantle forward. Cause I, I agree with you, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> so no, thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing Eric. Is there yeah. anything else that you want to mention that we haven't talked about? Oh boy. I could probably go on <laughs> and on about lots of things, but, uh, 
Where do people uh, follow your campaign? I mean, how can people stay in touch <laughs> with Selwood Cycle? Well, fortunately, I have uh, much smarter people here than myself run our social media, so I I, I tend to stay out of that. But they have great, to, pretty easy to track down, though. Selwood Cycle has great social media, and you always have really fun merch. Because I know you you as a shop owner have actually invested in really smart, like graphic design people that make cool things. So everybody, yeah, go fun. check it out. All right, and thanks yeah. again, Eric. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much. It was really fun. That was Eric Tonkin, owner of Selwood Cycle Repair. Be sure to check out our show notes for links to the shop and other topics mentioned in this episode. The Bike Portland podcast is a production of Pedaltown Media Incorporated and is made possible by listeners just like you. If you're not a subscriber or a supporter yet, please become one today at bikeportland.org support. You can listen to more episodes and find out how to subscribe at bikeportland.org podcast. Our theme music is by Kevin Hartnell. I'm your host, Jonathan Maas. Until next time, thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the streets. Bye.